Galatians chapter 6, I'll read the first three verses. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that we have your holy word, your inerrant word, your word of truth written down for our sakes, for our benefit. How good it is, Father, even though it is often painful, how good it is that we can compare our own selfishness, our own lusts, our own desires, our own sins against the truth and the commandments that you lay down. And how good it is, even though it is painful, Father, that we can find ourselves wanting greatly from that standard of perfection that you place before us. But how good it is, Father, and not painful at all when we think of the suffering that Christ underwent on our behalf and that we can, simply by claiming him as our Lord and Master, we can have what he has, true sonship with you, our Father. And so we pray tonight, Father, as we take a brief look at your word, at this small passage, we pray, Father, that you will work in our hearts and in our minds and that you will spur us on to good things, to good works. Not that we might try to earn our salvation, Father, but that we might respond in joy to what you have done for us by sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty for our sin. We thank you for that blessing. And we pray now that you'll guide us into all spirit and all truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bear one another's burdens. That's the title of this message. Um, It's supposed to be a short devotional, but I have five handwritten pages, so I may be skipping some. But the title of the message is Bear One Another's Burdens, as you see in verse 2. And when I think of small groups, I think largely of the act of bearing one another's burdens. Whatever you think of small groups, however your small group has been going in the past couple of months, wherever you are with your transition from what we used to do into the transition of small groups, I think you would agree, at its best, small groups allow us on an intimate basis to bear one another's burdens. And as we look at this passage tonight, that's the thing that we'll consider. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? I think the commandment here is for all of us. If you look there in verse 2, I'm going to come back to verse 1 in a moment, but I want to skip over it and focus initially on verse 2. The commandment there is, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If we start with this, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens. And I'm actually going to throw that out as a real question, not a hypothetical question. A few of you answer me. What does it mean to you? Give a specific example or give something in generalities. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? Yes, Brandon. Christ, uh, deeper 
Okay, so Brandon holds up our highest example, and that's the example of Christ, who, as he says, bears our sin. And that is our greatest burden, of course, and Christ has borne it. Good. What does it mean for each of us to bear one another's sins? What are some things that we do in the process of bearing one another's sins? Yeah, Dan. Good. Dan mentioned several things. Supporting one another, encouraging one another, and holding one another accountable, especially in the area of sin. Good. Yes. Praying for one another, and if necessary, rebuking one another. And Travis. That's right. Sometimes bearing a burden, all it has to do with is listening, doesn't it? There are times when listening is enough to help bear someone's burden. Sometimes there's more required, but sometimes listening is all that's required. Scott, were you going to say something? Yeah, you can't really bear one another's burdens from a distance. You have to be involved and close to the person. It implies a, a closeness of the relationship between people so that there's a, uh, an intimacy there that is unusual. Yeah, Scott, for those of you who might not have heard, is emphasizing the intimacy required to bear one another's burdens. He says it's something you can't do at a distance. You have to know somebody to be able to know what their burdens are and then to be able to bear them. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, Rebecca. Um, I have an example of a, a task-oriented bearing somebody's burdens. Um, a, a little while back, I was sending out applications for a young and I was in a tight spot where I really had to get it out by 5 o'clock. And I really thought there was no hope in doing so. So I was walking out of the music library and I happened to pass Sarah Childress and Christine Kim. And I, they said, are you okay? And I said, just pray for me because it will be a miracle if these applications get out on time. And so they said, okay. And then I realized I forgot something in the music library, so I ran back. And in passing, Sarah said, is there something that I can do for you? How can I help you? And immediately my response was, no, you can't do anything for me. This is my doing, and I have to take care of this mm-hmm. myself. And then I stopped, and I thought, well, that's dumb. So I turned around, and I said, yes, actually, you can take these applications, or this resume, and take it to Music Copies and get a copy for me made. That would just really help me a lot. And so they did it. The application got sent out on time, but they were bearing my burden. I mean, mm-hmm. tangibly. That's excellent. Um, Rebecca gave a, a, an account of how um, Sarah Childress was able to help her with a deadline for an application and make copies for her when she was running late. And those are the kinds of things I want you to think about. Think about your own small group and think about how you may have witnessed someone in your small group bearing the burden of someone else in your small group. It might just be listening. It might be, as I saw, um, Kirk Bristol helping um, Brad Dale fix his motorbike. It might be um, helping somebody move. It might be praying for someone who's facing temptation or who has a difficulty um, with their work or with, with a job. Think about those things and then think how you are participating in bearing other people's burdens in your small group. <clears throat> Please turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans 12.
this um, short passage of scripture is a good description both of how we should act towards our fellow believers, in other words, bearing one another's burdens, and also how we should act towards unbelievers who persecute us. It's a good mix of our relationship both with the world and with our fellow believers in Christ. And it's a good description of what it means to bear one another's burdens. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And how can you give preference to one another if you don't know one another's preferences? How can you give preference to one another if you don't know what one another prefers? So again, there's that idea that Scott was talking about, about the intimacy, about knowing one another. Uh, Let's see, verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Uh, Verse 12 is is a great summary of what we're to be like. In hope, we are to rejoice with one another. In tribulation, we are to persevere with one another. And always, we are to be devoted to prayer, whether it's a prayer of praise or whether it's a prayer of supplication, asking the Lord for help. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. There are some practical things. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The act of bearing one another's burdens is to be overcoming evil with good. It's an act of overcoming evil with good. So now in this verse, what is the result of bearing one another's burdens? It says here that by bearing one another's burdens, we thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. What is the law of Christ? Let me ask that one. What is the law of Christ? Or maybe a little more low-key, what do you think about when you hear the words, the law of Christ? What do you think about? What does the law of Christ bring to your mind? Yeah, Lou. Yeah, so that's what Pastor Bailey was talking about, the two tables of the law. And the way Christ summed it up as the first table is loving the Lord our God with all our strength, mind, and soul. And the second table is loving our neighbor as ourself. Good. The law of Christ. Anything else? Does anyone think of something else? 
Let me tell you what Matthew... Oh, go ahead. Nathan. Good. So his life itself set an example. And certainly he followed his own law, right? Because we know Christ wasn't a hypocrite. So certainly the life that we saw that he lived that's recorded in Scripture is one that we should aspire to at the very least. So yeah, that's good. Matthew Henry, when he thought of the law of Christ, his immediate thought was, what is the opposite of the law of Christ? And the verse that he went to was Matthew 23. And if you want to turn there, that's fine. I'm going to be flipping there, and I'll I'll read it when I get there. But it's Matthew 23, the first four verses. Who was it that Jesus spoke most vehemently against when he was on earth? The Pharisees. And this is the very beginning of the description of the Pharisees just before he begins the, the great set of woes, the woe to use. This is, this is the lead into that. Chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So what are they putting upon the shoulders of men? What does it say here that they're putting on the shoulders of men? Heavy burdens, that's right. And Paul in Galatians tells us to do what? Bear one another's burdens. That's right. So the opposite of the law of Christ is to place heavy burdens on others and be unwilling to even move them with your finger. That's the hyperbole. The Pharisees placed heavy burdens, but they were unwilling, even with their finger, to move that burden a little bit. Paul calls us to do exactly the opposite. We're to lift that burden. We're to bear that burden as much as we are able um, from our fellow brothers and sisters. So you might say that bearing one another, sorry, bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to bear one another's burdens. It's almost like a circular argument. We bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to bear one another's burdens. And of course, there are many things bound up in the law of Christ, but in a nutshell, you might think of it as bearing one another's burdens. You might also notice, and I've flipped away from it, so I'm going to have to flip back, but also in Matthew 23, the very next verse, it says about the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. So again, it betrays the motives of the Pharisees. Not only are they unwilling to lift men's burdens, not only do they place heavy burdens upon men, but the things that they do, um, they do in the sight of men, hoping to gain praise and honor from men. And of course, that teaches us by negative example, that teaches us when we bear one another's burdens, we should be careful that we're not doing it with a motive 
of gaining praise and honor from men. We should instead work in our mind with the souls and with eternity in our mind as we work with those who are in our small group. Always have an eternal perspective and always care for the soul. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying, leading that person into eternity closer to Christ. Now let's go back to verse 1 of Galatians 6. This, in my opinion, is another way that we bear one another's burdens. And it has to do with dealing with sin. Verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, there's an awful lot in that verse. But take it for granted, if your small group is healthy you will be dealing with sin. If your small group is healthy, you will be dealing with sin. Now, many of our small groups probably have at some level, but at the very beginning, it's tough because people are still kind of feeling out the relationship, what's okay to say, what's okay not to say. We're with our wives. We're with our husbands. There are different relationships and tensions that are going on. Nevertheless, I say, if your small group is healthy, you will be dealing with sin. It may not be in the group setting, although it may be. You may have confession of sin during the prayer time. But it may also be when your small group is over or just before a brother or sister might pull you aside and say, hey, can we meet for lunch this week? Or, hey, I have something I'd like to talk with you about. Can you help me? And if your small group is healthy, there will be an acceptance that we're all sinners, not just theoretically sinners, not just sinners in general, not just, yeah, Adam sinned and so I'm a sinner. There will be an acceptance that I'm a sinner and I sin. I do sins. I sin on a daily basis. I get angry. I lust. I gossip. I am greedy. Specific sins. And these sins, if we, have, we recognize these sins and if we place our faith in Christ, the desire will be to confess these sins and have them dealt with. Now, as we look at this verse, who does it say is to deal with the sinner? Who does it say is to be involved in the act of restoring such a one? Yeah, Jim. Christian brothers. What does it say specifically? Those who are spiritual. Okay, those who are spiritual. The temptation is to say... Dave Carell and Tim Bailey, those who are spiritual, and Chris Taylor, our pastors, they are the spiritual ones. Go to it, guys. we got sin in this small group. Here you go. Handle it. You're not smiling too big, are you, David? <laughs> He's putting on a smile. What does it mean, those who are spiritual? Let's look at one of the commentaries I read pointed to the opposite Again, we're looking at opposites. These commentaries like this. The opposite of those who are spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. So he's referring to those who are spiritual. I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh 
as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? So Paul here presents the opposite of those who are spiritual. If you say, I'm not spiritual, essentially, you're aligning yourself with the fleshly man. You have one of two choices. You're either spiritual, headed in the direction of the spiritual, striving to sow to the spirit, as we read earlier, or you're fleshly. You're seeking to sow to the flesh. You're one or the other. Now, granted, there are those who are what we often call more mature in the faith. That's granted. There are those who, by the gift and the grace of God, understand spiritual things either more thoroughly or more deeply or more studied in them. And there are those who have committed their life solely to the study of Scripture so that they might expound it to the sheep. That's true. But simply by saying that you are a follower of Christ and it's your desire to mature in Christ and to sow to the Spirit rather than sowing to the flesh, you're saying that you're among those who are spiritual. And I believe that that command causes all of us to need to be concerned with not only dealing with our own sin, but also helping bear one another's burden of sin. We all admit that sin is a burden, and if we are to bear one another's burden, certainly sin is one of those burdens we should bear. I need to skip down a little bit. Hang on a second. Okay. How does this verse say that we're to do this? Bearing one another's burden, especially in the area of sin, is not something that we all leap to do. Hey, can I do it? Let me handle this one. It's not something that I don't think I've ever seen anyone eager to help someone else bear the burden of sin. It's not easy to do. We don't like to bear our own burden of sin, do we? My tendency is to ignore it. I don't have any sin. I don't have a problem there. What do you mean problem? That's not my problem. I got everything worked out. It's your problem, actually, now that I think about it. It's your problem because you're pointing it out to me. You're being too legalistic. Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) That's our tendency, isn't it? We don't want to deal with our own sin. And that's why it's so difficult to deal with other sin because when when we help someone else bear their burden of sin, it becomes painfully obvious that we ourselves are sinners that we ourselves also have sin. Very often, the very same sin that we're helping someone else bear, we struggle with it too. And it makes it very difficult. What is the goal in this verse of bearing one another's burden with sin? What is the goal of helping someone who's caught in sin? What does it say here? I've got to find out what it says. I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay, there we are. What does it say? You who are spiritual, do what? What was it? Restore. Yes. I know I'm asking an obvious question, but it's to keep you guys involved. Restore. Okay? That's the goal. The goal is to restore. The goal isn't to say, you sinned. The goal isn't to say, you're weak. 
And, of course, we shouldn't say that because we ourselves are weak. The goal is to restore. To restore what? To restore that person's relationship with the person they sinned against and to restore that person's relationship with a holy God. Any sin that is committed separates the relationship that we have with God. And so when we approach one another, it should be with the purpose of restoring. How are, do we go, how are we to go about that restoration process? We are to go about it in a spirit of gentleness. Look down there. In a spirit of gentleness. So again, if we're dealing with someone who has unruly children, we don't say, your kids are little monsters. I'm exaggerating. Well, maybe my kids are little monsters. I hope one of you tell me. No, we're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. We're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Are you guys little monsters? <laughs> you notice which one answered. <laughs> Look at him rolling his eyes. <clears throat> we're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And while we're restoring in a spirit of gentleness, what are we to be doing? We are to be, each one of us, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Looking at ourselves serves two purposes. One, it's a recognition that we ourselves are weak and we're subject to temptation, just as the person that we're helping is. We're subject to temptation, maybe in the very same area that they're struggling with. And number two, we look to ourselves to guard ourselves, as it says here, so that you too will not be tempted. To guard ourselves from being tempted in the process of trying to help someone else. It happens very often that when you're dealing with sin that someone else is committing and help that, helping them try to conquer that sin, that you find yourself tempted. Maybe in the very same sin or maybe in something closely related. Let me give you an example. When counseling someone who's having marital difficulties... A man should never counsel the woman alone. Seems obvious, but it happens. Um, in, the, in the same vein, if a woman is counseling a woman who's having marital difficulties, the woman who's counseling should be careful that the complaints of the woman who's having difficulty, she doesn't take those to heart. Do you understand what I mean? By hearing the very complaints that a woman who's having trouble with her husband has, that woman who's counseling may take those very complaints to heart and it may influence her own relationship with her own husband. And there are other examples. Gossip is similar. Um, when dealing with gossip, it becomes a strong temptation to be involved in the gossip yourself. It becomes very difficult not to do that. So the idea is to look to yourself, recognizing that you're a sinner, that you're liable to be tempted, and to guard yourself from being tempted in that way. <clears throat> Now, again, just on this one verse, let me one more time reiterate that dealing with sin is a way that we bear one another's burdens, and we should be doing this in our small groups. We should be bearing one another's burdens by confessing our sins to one another and by hearing confession of sin and by praying about sin to one another in our small groups, in our prayer time and before and after um, our prayer time. Now, it may happen occasionally that someone confesses a sin to you that you have no idea how to handle or that you feel you're way above your head. <clears throat> that may happen. Uh, it probably won't happen very often, but it will happen occasionally. And in those cases, what we as elders do is bring another elder in to help 
So what you should do is bring this person to your small group leader. Go with them and say, can you help us deal with this? Be their advocate to your small group leader. If you are the small group leader or if your small group leader is already involved, then come to an elder, come to a pastor. In the same way, be their advocate. You're not condemning them. You're helping them deal with their sin. How can we deal with this? What has your experience been? Can you hold us accountable? Can you help us with this? Finally, verse 3. Verse 3 is related. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is actually one of the temptations that we will all face when bearing one another's burden. Whether it's sin or not, particularly in the area of sin, but when we bear one another's burden, whether it's a sin, whether it's a weakness, whether it's sickness, whether it's poverty, the thing that we'll be tempted with is pride. Listen to this verse again. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. (coughs) As we read, the Pharisees fell prey to pride. The Pharisees definitely fell prey to pride. And we're not immune from it. We aren't over that Pharisee thing. That's not just a thing from the past that those stupid Israelites had to deal with. We're subject to the same sin. And it's very easy to be prideful when you look at someone who's struggling with something, especially if it's something that you don't struggle with. Or if it's something that you've struggled with in your past and you look at it as something you've conquered. It's easy to say, yeah, I was there once but I'm beyond that now. Thank the Lord. (laughs) And then you start thinking about that Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him, right? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector over there. And meanwhile, he receives the favor from his father because he's with tears and weeping, crying out, Lord, have mercy because of the sinner that I am. We have to protect ourselves from pride. We are all too likely to take on a better opinion of ourselves when helping someone else with their weakness. It's easy to do, and it can happen in a subtle way. It may not be as obvious as the Pharisee pointing to the sinner who's praying over there. It just might be an attitude of confidence that we have. It just might be an attitude of self-righteousness, of superiority that might not be detectable on the surface, or might not even be detectable by ourselves immediately. Paul reminds us that even when we begin to think this way, that we are in the way that we're somehow more worthy than the person we're helping, what we're doing is deceiving ourselves. That's what he says here. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And what that does is it makes us liable to fall into temptation ourselves. It makes us more liable to fall into temptation ourselves when we become confident in that way. Matthew Henry, his quote is, there is not a more dangerous cheat in the world than self-deceit. There is not a more dangerous cheat in the world than self-deceit. And what he means by that is that self-deceit cheats us out of the inheritance that we receive through Christ. Self-deceit allows us to think that we have an inheritance because we view ourselves as righteous. But in the end, self-deceit cheats us of that inheritance because we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we're righteous. 
Let me sum up by again saying we are to bear one another's burdens. That's our command. Whether or not we're in a small group, whether or not small groups is the best thing for this church, I happen to believe it is the best thing for this church, especially at this time. But regardless of what you think about small groups or how small groups are going, this is your job to bear one another's burdens. And I see it as something that can be vital in a small group. It's not easy to do. It's difficult to do. It's hard work to do. There is some danger involved. We can become tempted and fall into sin in a number of different ways. It's not easy. It's hard. There's danger. But it's a commandment. This is what we're to do to fulfill the law of Christ. But not only do it out of a commandment, it also bears fruit. It bears the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, just before this, Paul talks about those fruits of the Spirit. He talks about walking by the Spirit as opposed to walking by the flesh. And he lays out the things of the flesh. The things of the flesh are evident. But in verse 22 of chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And these are the things that we reap and these are the things that we sow when we bear one another's burdens. In addition, we are also laying up, of course, treasures for ourselves up in heaven. So let me implore you, let me, let me ask you, let me request of you, let me, I don't know what word I'm thinking of, but I'm not coming up with it. Let me exhort you. That's the perfect word. Thank you, Carol. Let me exhort you. Let's be a real church. Let's be a real church. Let's not play. Let's not just play at Christianity. Okay? Where we put on a happy face and everything's peachy keen and how you doing today, brother? And hey, have you had a great week today? Let's bear one another's burdens. What's bothering you, brother? What can I pray for you this week? What are your temptations? What are you struggling with? Can I help you this week do something? Do you need me to go down to Kinko's and make some copies for you? Sometimes it's the small things. Sometimes it's bigger things. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's have a real church. Let's have real small groups. Let's show the real love of Christ to one another. And let me close by reading another passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. This is from chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your ways among men. We thank you, Father, that...